Uh, if you would, I'd like you to think back for a moment on that reflection. As I said before, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning kind of pausing and thinking about ways in which uh, God is forming us. And uh, my hope is that this will in some way resonate with, uh, resonate with someone here this morning. Um, but I would also encourage you this week, if you wrote something down that felt meaningful, significant, if you felt in any way that you heard something from Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to share that with someone. I think by articulating what has been happening or what you're receiving, it uh, inspires others in faith, but also it kind of reinforces the very thing that you're hearing. Uh, by being able to repeat it and put it into your own words, it gives more life uh, to that thing that is taking place. Now, I don't know what uh, came to your mind as you were thinking about the song and thinking about light and the nature of daylight as you heard it, but I would have thought the song would have been a bit more energetic, a bit more lively. It would pack a bit of a punch that there would be this sense of awe that uh, somebody was sitting there and the sunrise was happening and they were like bursting into new life and new experience and moments that you're like, man, this is unbelievable. It did not necessarily resonate with me in the same way, and that's part of why I think I love the song. The song, from my perspective, is more about a person that's playing the song or listening to the song that's coming out of darkness and into light, right? But that the focus in some way is wrapped with these feelings of what darkness meant for them, what was experienced in that season of darkness, what was happening in their world in such a way that it moved them to a place where they began to express it. And there was an acknowledgement maybe of loss, of things that went wrong, of things that they hoped for that went unanswered, dreams that they had that were not realized, and yet now they are imagining what the future looks like, that there is a bit of hope, that there are these inspiring tones that are like, tomorrow may be different, this day may be different. And I wonder if part of why that might resonate with us a little bit is we have been in a season that feels a bit like that. As a world, we have kind of been looking back on this season of darkness, difficulty, tension, and experiencing a hopefulness for the future, but still acknowledging that things have been lost, things have been challenging. We have been maybe in a season of disorientation. And in some ways, I think that feeling is directly linked to faith. And it's my hope this morning to make a bit of a connection. See, faith is a journey for each of us. And all of us start in different places. And we find ourselves in different places on that journey of faith. And if at any one moment we were to come up to you and ask where you are on that journey of faith, for some of you, you feel like you've been making giant leaps forward. Others of you maybe feel like you are kind of in reverse. Some of you feel like you've been stagnant for a while, not seeming to hear from the Spirit, just kind of 
moving from one day to the next day. And for some, there's a feeling of disorientation. I don't know what to feel. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what is next. And I think sometimes the most uh, disorienting of times are those times where we transition from one way of thinking to another, where we leave something behind and reach for the thing that is ahead of us. I think that looks like you facing questions that perhaps you've never considered before. Maybe in faith it's unpacking a certain aspect of your faith that um, formed when you were quite young. Maybe you're having a period of doubt, of questioning, of wondering. Perhaps for you it's a new way of understanding the Bible and theology and faith or for others, your lived experience is in some way altering the relationships that you find yourself in. And for me, the last few years have been years where I have tried to reconsider expressions of faith and positions of theology and ways that I could articulate what I believe. Um, and I have sought to navigate that in a way that has been with some degree of composure but I'm sure that there have been moments that have not quite been composed, moments of wondering, moments of like, where does this road lead? Where am I going, right? Maybe you resonate with that in some way. Maybe you feel that same thing. And I want to suggest this morning a couple changes that have happened, uh, some uh, adjustments in a way of thinking that have been really helpful for me kind of navigate that change. I want to call them pivots this morning. If you're taking notes, these are some pivots that I think can be helpful for the way we experience and adjust to changing faith. A pivot really is a change in perspective. It is uh, an adjustment from one way of being into a new way of being. It's maybe taking you from what was to where you will ultimately end up. And Jesus seems to acknowledge that these moments happen in our lives. In fact, he's having this unique conversation with the disciples, and then there are a lot of religious people around, and they begin to question him about an experience that the disciples are having collectively. Uh, this should be on the screen. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, being Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and the worse, a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh or new wineskins. What Jesus seems to be addressing is thinking that no longer seems to fit. Something that's being tried to, that's new, that's being tried to put into old wineskins that somehow will create 
a rupture of what was. It could be old ways of thinking. It could be traditions that we hold on to. It could be things that have formed in your life over years of practice. And what is needed in a particular moment is a new wineskin, a new container to hold meaningful faith expression. And my hope is that these two pivots kind of describe that because the Pharisees are talking to Jesus and saying, hey, how come you guys aren't doing the religious thing the right way? You're not doing the faith expression the way that I think it's supposed to be done. And Jesus says, there's a time for new wineskins. And maybe for you, that time is now or has been for a while. And I want to suggest two pivots. The first one is this, a pivot from defensive to invitational. So when I began on a journey of changing my perspective or altering my thinking about faith or the practice of faith or my posture of theology, that probably started in middle school. And all along the way, I've continued to make pivots, and some of those have been done well, and some of those not so well. And by not so well, I mean I think some of those pivots I handled with a defensive posture rather than an invitational one. Here's what I mean by that. I felt that when I had a new perspective or a new tradition or a new way of expressing faith that I somehow had to defend my new perspective. I felt the need to prove something, to try to change someone's mind, to alter someone's way of thinking, to defend a theological argument. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I would like to suggest that I came by that naturally. I think I came by it naturally for a few reasons. One, I am my father's son. That would be one reason. The second reason is because of a particular role I play in the church. And so there had to be this like idea that I defended that thinking. Or maybe it was just my upbringing taught me to really value and have a responsibility to prove something to be true, to defend my faith, to be strong in apologetics. Maybe these are terms that you've heard or resonate with. To be able to regurgitate an assumed position and to hold that position and that tradition with certitude. And if I did change my mind, I better be able to defend it in such a way that I could prove it to someone else. Otherwise, you better not change your mind. That was kind of the way that I looked at it. And as someone who wants justice and things to be right and to align, that is kind of who I am by nature, then uh, this, you could imagine, created a bit of a tension. And this pivot became a very challenging experience. Because when you change your mind on certain perceived truths or run countercultural to expected ideas, there is typically some pushback. I don't know if you've experienced that, but there will be confrontation, there'll be pushback, there'll be questioning, there'll be someone challenging why you believe what you believe. And what I tried to do was solve that for people. Tried to defend it, figure it out help people to see it differently. And this is where the pivot starts to come in. I have sought really, really hard over the last several years to move from that defensive posture to an invitational 
posture. And here's the invitation. In Psalm 34, it says this, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Tasting and seeing imply experience. They imply that you've tested something, tried something, embarked on something new. It's not about trying to prove something at that moment. It's trying to experience something. You don't have to defend something. You're just inviting others to be curious, to taste, to see, to experience, maybe to experiment, to ask questions, to wonder, to consider a new way of thinking or an altered practice. These or what it means to taste and see. And in many ways, this pivot, I think, is part of the way of Jesus. If you notice the way that Jesus interacts with the religious leaders of the time, he is asked question after question after question, and you're waiting for the answer, and you can't wait, and you know it's coming, and then Jesus does this pivot where he doesn't answer the question, he just simply asks you a new one. And then he asks again. And then he invites you to consider. And then when they're like, no, you've got to tell us the answer, then he goes, okay. Once upon a time, there was a man who, and he was farming, or he was gardening, or he was eating grapes, or he was, and then you're like, what? What is he saying? He never comes out with a binary yes, no. He's always asking questions, challenging you to consider, to think about it a little bit differently. In fact, he never interacts with two people the same way, even if they ask him the same question. What does it mean to inherit eternal life? And to the one person, he describes it one way. The next person asks him, and he describes it a different way. He's always challenging the way we look at faith. And this is a beautiful way of looking at faith. And the truth is, sometimes when you invite people into that curiosity, it goes really, really well. It does. Sometimes the result is a changed perspective. Somebody who sees something new for the first time, somebody who's able to find words to articulate what they have been wrestling with, or maybe it's somebody who begins to live in a new way and embody their faith in a new way in the world, and that moment is to be celebrated. It's beautiful. And then there are times that it doesn't go so well. There are times... Perhaps you've noticed where curiosity and the invitation to that curiosity is met with disdain or frustration, a response that probably makes you, but definitely makes me want to go back into that defensive mode to go, well, hey, I'm going to prove this to you then if you can't step into curiosity. And maybe you've even noticed this start to create an impact on family relationships you have or friends that once were close that now seem distant. 
And if that is true for you, if you're experiencing this invitation and what you're giving is that and what you receive is pushback and difficulty, may I make another suggestion, and that is to follow this really weird phrase that Jesus says. It's found in Mark 6. It says this, And he, Jesus, called the twelve, the disciples, and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. The text says this, if anyone will not listen to you. Now this does not mean if anyone will not agree with you. That happens quite a bit, okay? This means if anyone will not listen to you, meaning they're closed off to you, they have no willingness to consider a different perspective, all that they have for you is this like distant arm that's pushing you away that's saying, I'll have none of this. Don't talk to me about this. I think in that moment, what Jesus is saying is, shake the dust off your feet. Seems weird. Sounds awkward. Shake the dust. To shake the dust is to acknowledge that you have done all that you can do and should do, and maybe it's time to just let go. Because most of the time, the unconvinced cannot be convinced. And that can be hard. I know for me, that was hard. Because really, in some ways, what I'm not necessarily always trying to change is what their perspective is of me. Maybe. Sometimes. And sometimes, maybe I've even lost perspective of trying to change what they think. Sometimes what I'm really wanting to change is maybe how a person feels about me. Because most of the pain that we experience in these moments is pain of rejection. To shake off the dust is to say that you no longer bear the responsibility. That you can let it go. That those who are resistant to change will not likely embark on their own change. And that's not your responsibility. John Oman makes this statement. God has made in every heart a sanctuary into which only the persuasion of love has a right to enter. A sanctuary into which God will not force an entrance. If there is curiosity, if love is entering into that space and it brings about a pursuit, pursue it. It's beautiful. It will result in something wonderful. But if it results in resistance and more resistance and accusations and shaming, then it's probably time to shake the dust. Say it's not my responsibility. I don't, I don't have to own this. Which takes us to pivot number two. Pivot two is from tightness to blessing. That might make no sense, but let me describe what I think tightness is. It's the idea of not letting go, of holding or gripping tight to something. It's wanting to maintain something. And, and the truth is, I felt for a very long time that I 
needed to hold tight to certain parts of my tradition or certain parts of my faith experience because they were incredible. Growing up, I had an incredible faith experience. I had so many people pouring into my life, so many things happening in the church. I knew I was loved and cared for and I could explore faith. And I would walk down the aisle at church and I could point person after person that I knew loved God with all of their heart. I had so many people to look up to, so many models of what it meant to have a deep and abiding faith. And so it felt that if there was something that served me well in one part of my faith journey, then I should probably hold on to that because it should serve me well for all of my faith journey. That if I believed one thing and held to one thing, I needed to continue to figure out how to hold on to it. It was kind of like that old sweatshirt that you just don't want to get rid of. You know, the one that like doesn't quite fit the way it used to. The one that either shrunk a little bit in the wash or got so used that it like stretched out and it just does not fit the same way. It's maybe threadbare in some places and you're like, maybe it's time to get rid of it. But every time you look at it, you think, man, the memory of that sweatshirt is so good. I've got to keep it a little bit longer and maybe forever. Okay, there's at least a few of you that feel that way about your sweatshirt too. And so you want to hold on to it. You want to hold on to the old wineskin. You want to hold on to the tradition, the practice, the way of being. And the truth is that I talk to a lot of people that are trying to figure out how to hold on to the thing and to fit it into a new wardrobe, to fit it into a new box, to figure out how to put it into something they've always held on to. So maybe your perspective on prayer has changed. Maybe the way you connect with God has shifted over the years. Maybe you had an idea about the flood or creation or heaven or hell or discipline or grace or forgiveness or the Holy Spirit and those things used to work in a particular way and metaphors spoke to you in a certain way and they no longer seem to work. Maybe you've changed over time your understanding of who's supposed to be baptized and who isn't or who has permission to come to the table and partake in the Lord's Supper and who doesn't. And maybe you even believed that the Holy Spirit was no longer active today in the same way that it was back in the Scriptures. And so you've now had a new experience and you wonder, how do I fit that into my old framework? And all these questions are firing all at the same time. And there is a tendency... I know I experienced to try to figure out how to put that new wine and pour it into the old container, hoping that it's going to fit. And yet, we know that the old wineskin is not prepared to give and flex and bend in a way that will not cause it to explode. And maybe you're asking the question, what should I hold on to? And should I hold on to it the same way that I used to hold on to it? And really, the question of what you want to hold on to is actually a question of how you want to live your life. It's a question of how you want to live your faith. Maybe uh, you read a book uh, by Marie Kondo that's titled The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. I don't know if you've read that book. 
But I'm going to take us there for a moment. In it, she states this. When you come across something that you cannot part with, think carefully about its true purpose in your life. You'll be surprised at how many of the things you possess have already fulfilled their role. By acknowledging their contribution and letting them go with gratitude, you will be able to truly put the things you own and your life in order. In the end, all that will remain are the things that you really treasure. To truly cherish the things that are important to you, you must first discard those that have outlived their purpose. Now, while she's referring to that sweatshirt you thought about earlier, or about something in your garage that sat there for 20 years, but you know at some point you'll probably use it again, that pivot she's talking about is moving from a place of wanting to grip tightly to something and moving instead to a place where you can bless it. The phrase that she says is to acknowledge its contribution and let go with gratitude. To bless it. We can, you know, let go of old ways of thinking. We can let go of old perspectives of God that no longer serve. If there are practices that you are engaged in that no longer connect you to Yahweh in a way that is meaningful and beautiful, you can pick up new practices that give that life and that connection and that relationship. And I know this can be hard. Um, maybe you are a spiritual hoarder of sorts, unwilling to let go of the clutter, the baggage. It is hard to let go. Marie Kondo makes this statement, but when we really dive into the reasons for why we can't let go of something, there are only two. An attachment to the past or a fear for the future. And when I read that, it struck me. And so much of what we tend to hold on to in faith that maybe no longer serves us is really an attachment to the past. Something that you're trying to keep with you. And so maybe the question we have to ask is, what attachment in your faith is holding you to the past, to a former way of thinking or being, that if altered today would give you more life in Christ? And that's something to think about with your small group, with a friend. What is something that you're still holding on to that if you let go of would actually give you more life in Christ? Or fear of the future. What fear of the future is present in your relationship with God or with others? What about that fear is holding you back from experiencing fullness in Christ? Apostle Paul has this amazing statement in Philippians 3. He says this, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, 
And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now here's the goal that he's referring to. The goal is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That is our goal. To know him and the power of his resurrection. And what he says in order to accomplish it is to forget which is behind, what you're attached to, and strive toward or move forward or reach forward to the thing that is to come. To press forward. And I have found this pivot to maybe be one of the most helpful practices over the last few years. To no longer have to carry the baggage of ideas or thoughts or practices that no longer serve. To be able to release them, to bless them, to acknowledge them. To say thank you so much for the role you played in developing me in faith to who I am at this point. But it's time for me, like that old sweatshirt from Temple University that I had for 20 years, to let go. It's okay. And to pick up something that fits in a different way. But do not fear the letting go does not mean you're letting go of faith. Quite the opposite. In fact, it's an opportunity to be further tethered to Christ. Boyd makes this statement. Branches, that's us, don't visit a vine once in a while on special occasions. Rather, branches are permanently attached to their source of life. So too, followers of Jesus are to take up permanent residence in Christ, remaining attached to him at all times as their source of life. That part's not to change. The part that changes is the way that you attach. The part that changes is the way that you relate. So pivots are hard, but they're necessary. And I want to encourage you to pivot into a posture of invitation. To invite others into curiosity, to ask questions, to wonder, to dream, and to ask other people to be on that journey with you. And if there is resistance to that, that's okay. Shake the dust. It's not your responsibility. And then move into and toward blessing. Be willing to let go and move toward that which is blessing and restoring and keeping you more deeply tethered to the vine, to that which gives life to this relationship with Christ. And if it's a metaphor or something that needs to be let go of, just simply bless it and let go. May we be a community that's willing to invite, and may we be a community that blesses. Let's pray. God, I know that um, many of us in this space and many of us that call New Community home have been on journeys of faith that have challenged our thinking, that have caused us to imagine new ways of being, and sometimes that has met resistance, resistance from friends or family, and that can be so challenging. So God, give us the ability to, in grace, invite. God, also give us the ability to let go, to release, to acknowledge something, to express gratitude, to bless it, 
and to step into a new way of being. God, I pray that if anyone in this space is wrestling with this idea right now and wants to talk and discuss and interact further, that they would do so in group, that they would find a friend, that they would come up afterwards and talk, that there would be a way that we could together collectively unpack these ideas that are meaningful. God, continue to inspire us toward knowing and loving you more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.